Welcome to Unpacked Shorts. I'm Katie Harrison at Unheard, and with me is Peter Franklin, who writes our Unpacked column, where he takes an article written by someone else and explores it and brings his own analysis. Welcome, Peter. Hello. I think you have been looking at Europe recently, and uh, for those of us of our generation, Peter, uh, we remember growing up with the shadow, under the shadow of an east-west divide, which meant something very specific in, uh, in those days, and we would like to think is behind us now. What's the latest version of that contrast, do you think? Well, there still very much is a divide, and um, looking just within the EU, obviously there's much wider divide, divides when you go much further east uh, to Russia, Ukraine, etc. But looking at the kind of gulf, really, between the core European countries, um, Germany especially, France, Holland, etc., and then the <coughs> new European countries, Poland, Hungary, the Czech Republic, um, we still find, you know, pretty extreme economic inequalities. And the point was made by um, uh, in a paper um, by uh, Thomas Piketty, um, the well-known inequality controversialist, um, plus some of his academic colleagues, who um, they describe um, these East European uh, economies as um, foreign-owned countries. And indeed, you see that the commanding heights in those economies owned to quite an extraordinary extent by the Germans, by the Dutch, but yeah, especially the Germans. But the big, the, the grand sort of plan for uh, the European Union was surely that it was this marvellous leveller, it was an equalising yes. force, it, we were all um, together, we're peers. So are some more equal than others? Um, well, the uh, flag of the European Union, where you see that lovely circle of 12 stars, um, a more accurate flag, well, there'd be 28 stars, seem to be 27, I guess, and they'd be of very different sizes, um, obviously, um, from, you know, mighty Germany down to sort of tiny Malta, maybe. I don't know if that's the smallest. Um, and um, they'd also be made, there'd be different colours, you know. Luxembourg, perhaps, would be 24 karat golds. Um, other poorer countries would be a kind of a rusty iron. Um, and um, we see those extreme inequalities, not just in income levels, and that drives a lot of immigration from east to west and south to north. But I think, you know, as I say, ownership so power. of those countries. Power, yes. Um, and what does, how does that translate in practice then? Are, are countries telling each other what to do? How, how does that work across the West-East Well, continuum? there's been a lot of tension last year, and I think it's going to continue to an even greater extent this year, about um, the core European countries trying to force the likes of Poland and Hungary to take more refugees. Um, and those East European countries are not keen on that at all. There's also a lot of disputes about certain constitutional changes that the Polish and Hungarian governments are making, which uh, the European authorities see as um, undemocratic. Um, so is this, is not this without not without justification. There are there is some stuff going on which is of concern, but you see that real sort of resentment that. You know, the rich West of Europe is 
um, you know, is perceived as as a bully and a sort of economic overlord. And uh, I suppose the conversely, the uh, one of the big debates within the Brexit uh, referendum, the whole conversation that we were having nationally in this country, was about um, freedom of movement within the European yes. Union and the directions of travel. Um, so would would we expect this to be a, a, a core driver for some of that travel if wages are lower in one part of Europe than in another? Is it as simple as that? Is there more complexity in terms um, well, of it is basically as simple as that. Okay. It's that the economic opportunities in the West are that much greater, and in a way, that's a, a safety valve. Um, you know, one of the uh, resentments, um, and there's, there's an article which I um, cite um, by Sebastian Dullian from the European Council um, on Foreign Relations. And he compares the wages of, I think it's uh, VW workers in the Czech Republic to VW workers in Germany. Oh, that's and interesting. And there's a huge gap between them, despite the fact that the factories, you know, have similar levels uh-huh. of output. Maybe we should you, have an EU pay gap investigation. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, the, the idea that, you know, Europe is this great sort of progressive Unifier. force, great unifier... Well, that does conceal some massive inequalities that, you know, we'd never, um, I don't think we'd, we'd tolerate them in our country. You know, if workers in the north of England were being paid a third of those in the south for the same job, I think that would cause an absolute scandal. Well, that's a whole other debate that I'm very happy to have another time. Um, To hear more, to read more of Peter's analysis of uh, the uh, couple of articles recently, Bloomberg and the European Council on Foreign Relations, looking at this east-west pay gap across the European Union, please go to unheard.com. Peter Franklin, thank you. Uh, But for now, from me, Katie Harrison, and our producer, James Coney, thank you for listening. Please rate this podcast on your usual podcast provider so that other people can find us too. For now, goodbye.